for you. What English word has three consecutive double letters? Three consecutive double letters. Anybody have a guess on this one? You guys are all going through the whole English dictionary right now. Nobody? I have any guess? Bookkeeper. O-O-K-K-E-E. Three consecutive double letters. Bookkeeper. I thought one of the book readers would have gotten that one, but I guess not. All right, here's a funny story for you guys, and we're going to get into this. Several men were in a locker room at the gym when a cell phone on the bench rang. The man put it on speaker and began to talk. Everyone else stopped to listen to the conversation. Hello? Hi, honey. It's me. Are you at the club? Yes. I'm at the shop now and found a beautiful leather coat. It's only $2,000. Is it okay if I buy it? Sure. Go ahead, if that's what you like. I also stopped by the Lexus dealer and saw the new models. I saw one I really liked. How much? $90,000. Okay, but for that price, it better have all the options. Great. Oh, one last thing. I was talking to Jeannie and found out the house I wanted last year is back on the market. They're only asking $980,000. Well, go ahead and make an offer for $900,000. They'll probably take it, but if not, you can give the extra 80000 That won't be a problem. Okay, see you later. Love you so much. Bye, I love you too. Man hangs up. The other men in the locker room were just in shock. Man turned around and goes, anybody know whose phone this is? <laughs> Someone's going to be going home to a bad day there. <laughs> so, don't leave your phone around. Never know. Romans chapter 1, you should be there by now. We're going to go to verse 18. Verse 18, and we're going to read down to verse 22 and get into the message tonight. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who hold the truth in unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them. For God hath shown unto it unto them, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that, when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. At the end of verse 20, it says, so that they were without excuse. I'm going to preach slash teach on excuses tonight. Um, so let's, let's pray and we'll get started on this. God, I, uh, I ask you that you would help us tonight with the, this message. God, give me the words to speak and uh, show, us, uh, show me the direction we should go with this. Lord, I, I pray for Pastor tonight. You would help them on their trip, keep them safe, give them rest. And I uh, pray for... Uh, the carpenter's family and their church that you would just give them a special sweet time of service tonight together as a church family and I uh, just pray for us here that we would um, not make excuses but we'd make decisions in your name amen excuses now what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through six different categories and some of the questions or answers that they give of excuses 
of what some people would say for not being saved. We make excuses all the time. If you remember the old song, excuses, does anybody know the old song? You hear them every day, the, de the devil will provide them. If church you stay away, the old song, there's excuses out there. There's excuses for everything. And once you start making them, you make more. You can make an excuse to get out of an excuse. And it's, it's a never-ending slope. It's, it's right up there with lying. You've got to make a lie to cover a lie. Well, eventually you've got to make an excuse to get out of the excuse you tried to make. What is an excuse? Excuse I have written down is an attempt to lessen the blame uh, or trying to lessen the, the fault or offense that's against you. You're going to make an excuse to get out of something. I don't know anybody that really makes an excuse to get into something. Usually it's the other way around, to get out. And the main ones that people use are excuses to get out of why I can't be saved or why I shouldn't be saved. And what I want to do is I want to give you some of the common things they would say and what does God's answer to their reasons behind it. And the reason why I want to do that is one, maybe one of you in here, I don't know. Maybe someone in here is making up excuses why they are not saved or don't want to get saved. Or what I'd like to do is I'd like to give you guys some ammo that you can use when you're out door to door or you're witnessing to someone when they come to you with these excuses to give you something. So if you have pen and paper, if you want to write these down, there's going to be, I'm going to go through a lot of Bible. There's going to be a lot of Bible. I don't know who's on camera tonight up there. Is that Amelia? Get your fingers ready. We're going all over. So first one, the excuse of the atheist. This is one, how many have ever done the fair booth? Worked the fair booth. I ever went to give something out and they said, no, I'm an atheist. Or maybe went door to door, I'm an atheist. Half the time, if you end up talking to the guy, they're not an atheist. They don't even know what an atheist is. But it's the go-to answer. I'm an atheist. What is an atheist? A person who disbelieves or lacks belief in the existence of God. That is the definition of an atheist. So the first one, there is no God. If you're not ready... When they come and they say, I'm an atheist, there is no God, you could be left there going, wait a minute. The, wait, you don't know? But do you have a Bible verse or do you have scripture on your mind that you could say, wait a minute, the Bible says. Best thing to do to refute these questions or arguments is don't go to your own self. Go to what the Bible says. Let God answer the questions. So, Psalms 14. There is no God. We've heard this one a lot. And what I'd like to do is try to help you guys. Teens, I want you to pay attention. There's going to come a time where you're going to face these questions. And I want you to have an answer more than, yes, there is. That's what they want you to do, is to kind of start a little bit of a conversation. Go to them and say, well, let me show you what the Bible says. Or do you have a time, do you have a second so I can show you something? Write this down, because this is going to help you guys. You're going to find this. What does the Bible say, there is no God? What is it going to say there? In, verse, in chapter 14, verse 1, The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. The Bible says they're going to say it. Can I tell you? They're foolish if they're saying that. God is real. If you don't think God's real, walk outside and just look around. You can't say that just all happened. The other day we came out here and there was a rainbow in the sky. That doesn't just happen on its own. God 
is real. There is a God. If you were to go to chapter 53, you don't have to go there, but it's pretty much the exact same verse. In Psalm 53, verse, verse 1, it says, The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Corrupt are they, and have done abominable iniquities. There is none that doeth good. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Most of the time when they say that, they don't really mean it to a, that degree of there is no God. What they're saying is, there's no God that you need to talk to me about. Not the God, you're God of God, but that's not my God. They don't, but they, they don't always know what they mean when they say that. Or here's one. Science has the true answers. I think we've disproved that over the last year and a half. That science does not always have the true answers. What do we give for that one? First uh, Timothy chapter 6. First Timothy chapter 6. In verse 20, it says, O Timothy, keep that which is committed to thy trust. Avoid profane and ba vain babbling and opposition of science falsely so called. Science falsely so called. You know what? Go to the Bible and say, hey, look it, don't follow science. You know what they're going to say is, science has proven, and they're going to list something. And if you look into it, most of the stuff, if not all of it, you can find in the scripture was proven before the scientists ever found out. And they're going to say, nope, nope, because they don't believe there's a God. But you can prove the Bible through science. It's, it's interesting how they do it. One of, I wrote down a few of them. We're going to look at just a couple of them. I want you guys to help me. I'm going to read the verse, and I want you guys to try to help figure out what scientific principle that the geniuses figured out long after God had already figured it out and put it in the Bible. And I'm not going to disprove. These guys are smart people that came up with this stuff. They solved problems that God gave them the ability to solve. But they didn't come up with this stuff. God did. He created all this. Let's go to Job chapter 26. See if you guys can figure out the first one here. Job chapter 26. Verse 7, he stretcheth out the north over the empty place and hangeth the earth upon nothing. What scientific principle is this going to show us? Titus. He stretcheth out the north over the empty places and hangeth the earth upon nothing. Nothing around the earth. There's nothing holding it like a string or anything like that. Anything else? Anyone else have the, what's the scientific? Justin. The axis. The axis, okay. Mrs. Penner. Gravitational. There you go. The gravitational force. The really big scientific term, the gravitational force. They figured it out. Back in Job, he said, and hangeth the earth upon nothing. It was already there if they had gotten in their Bible. Before the scientists proved it, God made it. Here's another one for you. This is one right up to the 1800s was practiced all around the world. And it wasn't until the 1800s where they realized this is a really 
bad idea. Leviticus, chapter 17. You probably got, you, some of you guys probably already know where I'm going with this one. Leviticus chapter 17, just the first part of verse 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. What is that one of? What did they used to do? Dad. Yeah. If someone was sick, they would cut them and drain their blood out because they figured if we drain the blood out, the bad stuff will go away. Um, you're draining what they need. The Bible said, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. They did this. It was a very common. Most, if you read in history, a lot of people died from the medical scientist's way of healing someone of letting their blood out. I'm glad someone figured it out. Can you imagine if today, what, what is the number one thing they're saying helps people with COVID that are in the hospital? What do they give them? What do they give someone in the hospital with COVID that's not doing good? Anybody know what it is? Jude. Blood. Yeah, they're giving them a blood transfusion. They're putting blood in good blood into them. They're not letting it out. Science has not always had the right answers. How about another one for you? This one, I don't know, this one, there's, I got two of them here to see if, if you guys can get these ones here. Go back to Job chapter 26. Job chapter 26, it says, in verse 8, He bindeth up the waters in his thick clouds, and the cloud is not rent under them. And then it says over in 36, Job 36, it says in verse 27, For he maketh small the drops of water, they pour down rain according to the vapors thereof, which the clouds do drop and distill upon man abundantly. What is this one? What is this one here that they, that they figured out was happening? Mr. Fenton. Water the water cycle. Yeah. Evaporation, precipitation, condensation, the water droplets, the clouds. Science proved that God knew what he was doing. You know, that's what they do. Or this one here, I didn't even realize this one. This one here was a new one for me. I never even put it together. In Job chapter 28, it says in verse 25, to make the weight of the winds, and he weigheth the water by measure. This one here, air has weight. A scientist figured this out, that air had weight. And it's right there in the Bible. To make the weight of the winds. There's a weight to it. Science has the true answers. No, God has the true answers, and science proved God. That's what we find from that. Another one for an atheist, death is the end of the road. Once I'm dead, all my problems are gone, it's all over. I've even heard people say, when I die, I'll finally get some relaxing. Or we've heard, when I die, I'm gonna be on a party boat, enjoying life with my friends. Um, death is not the end of man. In Hebrews chapter 9, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, 
And as it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. You know what? When someone says that, you should really try to talk to them. It's not over. If they're not saved, Mr. Corey touched on this this morning. When they're gone, it's not over for them. They're going to go to hell for eternity if they're not saved. It's not going to just be over in the ground. It's not just going to be fun. There's a judgment coming. And you might be the last one that might be able to see them before they pass. You don't know. When, when someone walks away, you don't know what's going to happen. So, excuses of an atheist. There is no God. Science has the true answers. And death is the end of man. Those are three of the common ones that you hear for an atheist. Or, how about this one? The excuse of the agnostic. Not the big word, I know. This one is a person who believes that nothing is known or can be known of the existence or nature of God. That's too much to even try to become one. I, I don't even want to try to figure that one out. Here's what they say. No one knows whether there's a God. No one knows. They don't, we don't know. What, is, what does God say about that? Real simple. Psalms 19. Psalms chapter 19. Believe that nothing is known or can be known of the existence or nature of God. No one knows whether there is a God. What does it say in verse 1 and 2? The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. The heavens declare. You can't tell me, like I said at the beginning, that you, there is no God when you see outside. When you see those fields of the flowers, or you see those fields of the corn, you see the fields, you see the nature out there. You cannot tell me that God is not there. God is real. Or another one is, no one can know whether the Bible is true. We don't know if the Bible is true. No one will ever know if the Bible is true. You know what? That's an easy one. Psalms 119, verse 89. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. God's word is settled. They might be wavering on something, but God's word is settled. You can show them and say, listen, we know for sure that the Bible is true. Because the, you can even go to John where it says that he, the word was with God and the word was God. You have God's word. There's no question on it. The Bible is true. And you know what? Don't go to them arguing with them. Go to them and honestly, you want to show them these answers. The one I hear a lot from guys and stuff is, no one can know whether there is a heaven. No one will ever know if there's really a heaven. You know, if there is no heaven, what, really, what are we doing? It, it, what, do we, what is, to the men and the women out there, they have nothing to look forward to if there is no heaven to them. What does the Bible say on this? In Matthew chapter 10, Matthew chapter 10, if you want to go there and then go to John 14, Matthew 10 and John 14.
Matthew 10 says in verse 32 and 33, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father, which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father, which is in heaven. Twice. Where is God? He's in heaven. There is a heaven. In John chapter 14, verse, you take them right over to verse 2 and 3. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. You know what you can bank on? If it wasn't real, he would have told us. It's right there in the verse. Heaven's real. Why? Because he said, Jesus said, if it were not so, I would have told you. So it's real. I don't know what else, what other argument could you have? He said it, and that's final. The excuse of the deceived. A person that believes something that is not true. Um, this is another one that... There's a lot of people right now that have been deceived. There's a lot of people, if you go door to door just around in the last year and a half, they're deceived. They don't know. You know what happens when they're deceived? It changes their mind on stuff. What do they say? They say, my way is all right. They're deceiving themselves. My way is all right. I'm good. We're all set. Proverbs chapter 14 Proverbs chapter 14 has this answer from God. Proverbs chapter 14, it says in verse 12, There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. You can show them there is a way that seems right. Yes, there is a way that seems right. But it's not the right way. That's not the right way. <clears throat> They're deceiving themselves. Don't let them stay that way. Or, how many have ever heard this one? If you ever talked to any of the people in Auburn, I'm living a good life. I'm living a good life. You do your stuff, I'll do mine. I'm living pretty good right now. Are you though? Are you really living a good life? In James chapter 2, James chapter 2, James chapter 2, it says, In verse 10, For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. What are they saying? I'm living a good life. Hey, if you failed in one, you're guilty of all of them. That's what the Bible says. Sometimes someone's throwing that out at you and you just have to say, Look, I'm glad you're living good, but does it live up to God's standard? God said, for whosoever shall keep the whole law, and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. And then if they say, I am doing everything right, you should really ask them, have you followed all the Ten Commandments? That one will trip most people up. Just the Ten Commandments. The little things we learn as a little kid, the Ten Commandments. You know, bear fault witness. Oh boy, they're done. They can't go any farther. That, that one always trips everyone up. That's the first one I always go to. Well, have you ever lied? Well, yeah, everyone lies. Well, you, you, you're offended in one point. You're guilty of all. 
and you can get them. But show them from the Bible. Don't just throw stuff at them about it. In Romans chapter 3, you don't have to turn there. I'll just read it. Romans chapter 3 and verse 12. They're all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. There's none that do good. You can say that you are living the good life, but the Bible says that there is none good. There's none that doeth good. It's not true. You're deceiving yourself. Or here's one. I'm a good church member. There's people that will deceive themselves into thinking, I'm going to heaven because I make it to every service. I'm here for every workday. I'm here for the midweek service. I even make it early for Sunday school. I'm a good church member. John chapter 3 says, in verse 3, for this one, Jesus saith, answered and, say, and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Being a good church member is not going to be good enough. Now, do we want faithful good church members? Yes. But if that's what you're banking on being saved off of, you're deceived. You're deceiving yourself. I don't know why God wanted me to do this message. I don't know why he wanted me to go through these. I don't, like I said, I don't know who's in here, what's, where people are with being saved. Or maybe it's someone that you're talking to that you just needed some answers to talk to them. Um, whatever it is, I, I know God wanted me to preach this. Or here's one, the, the excuse of the unconvicted. This is another common one. I'm not lost. How many of you have ever heard that one? I, I've heard that one. We heard that a couple, was it uh, last summer? I talked to someone at work, and he goes, I'm not lost. You're not lost? Really? So I started looking up. What are some answers for this one? I had to go to the classic, Romans chapter 3. I, at first, I didn't know what to tell the guy. Like, I was stumped. Like, I've never heard this one. I'm not lost. I've heard I'm a good person. I've heard different things, but I've never heard, I'm not lost. The unconvicted. It says uh, in Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. We're all lost until we come to repent and trust Christ as our Savior. It says over in verse, in verse 10, as is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. What do you mean you're not lost? And I, and I read it, I went back to him and I said, look, to your answer, I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. He's like, yes, I'm a sinner. I go, we're, I, we're both sinners. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I go, but you said you're not lost. No, I'm not lost. I know exactly where I am. I'm like, where are you? He goes, and he looked straight in my face. He goes, I'm not lost because I know I'm not saved. Okay, well, that opened that door up for me. You know what? Sometimes they say something, they may not, they're, they're unconvicted. Some of them are unconvicted. Some of them are like, yeah, I know exactly where I'm at. I'm not lost. I'm wrong. Well, that, that opened up a door for me at work to talk to a guy. Another one I hear a lot is, I don't have to believe. You don't have to believe it. John chapter 3 says in verse 18, John 3, verse 18 says, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he 
hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. The Bible says, he that believeth on him is not condemned. You do have to believe. They say, I don't have to believe it. I just have to do this or I have to do that. But I don't really have to believe it. I just have to do it. I just have to mark my list and do my checklist, you know, type of thing. But you do have to believe. Or I don't have the feeling. I just don't feel like that's not my thing. I don't, I don't, I'm not convicted. It's not, you know, type of thing, you know. I don't know. I don't do, I don't do much off of feelings. Usually when I get a feeling, it's not a good sign. Most of the time, feelings don't work out for you. But it says over in uh, Ephesians 2, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's not about a feeling happy. It's not about, it's faith. And you can use this one to go into faith. And what is faith and how faith works? And you can go in and this helps you get started, but it's not what you feel. You know, there's that one in uh, the Old Testament where it talks about the, they would speak and the music and it was good and it made them feel good to their ears. You know what? It, it didn't do anything, though. It was just it was something lovely that they heard. You know what? There's people that say, I don't have any feelings. It doesn't bother me. Well, you know what? The Bible says it's by faith. You've got to have faith. The excuse of the careless. I'm not living good enough to be saved. I've had the guy I've, been, uh, I've worked with that actually said this to me. He goes, I, I'm not living good enough to be saved. And I look at him and I'm like, God can save your soul. No, you don't. I'm not living right. God doesn't want to save me. That's careless. That is careless. I'm not living good enough to be saved. Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9 talks about this one. 12 and 13. But when Jesus heard that, he said unto them, They that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. But go ye and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy and no sacrifice, for I am not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You know what? First, they have to realize they need a physician. That's the first thing they need. I'm not living good enough. Well, you know what? When someone's not living right, they go to a doctor, and the doctor tries to help them when they're not living right. You got the great physician that can help someone who's not living right. I'm not living good enough. Or how about, I'll become a Christian later. This one is probably one of the saddest ones you get. Maybe later. How many have ever gone through the whole plan of salvation for someone? And they're like, yes, yep, mm -hmm, yep, that's what I need, yep. Do you want to pray and get saved? And they go, maybe later. How many have ever had that one happen to them? That is one of the saddest things that could happen. What if there is no later? What happens? I, I have a person in my mind right now that I can think of that would always say, maybe later. Oh, I, I totally agree with everything you're saying. Maybe later. I can't guarantee you're going to make it home from my house. What do you mean later? When? When's later? What does the Bible say? I'll become a Christian later. Isaiah 55. Isaiah chapter 55. Verse 6. Seek ye the Lord 
while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Another one for this is uh, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Second Corinthians chapter 6, it says in verse 2, For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I secured thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. God didn't promise you tomorrow. Why wait? Why wait? Why put it off? Um, excuse of the ignorant. I have committed a sin that God could never forgive. Do you realize what you're saying when you say that? When someone says that, you're right, but God is not big enough to take care of what I just did. No. God is big enough to forgive you of your sins. I have committed a sin that God cannot forgive. The Bible says, we've already read it in Romans 10, verse 13. Romans 10, 13. Take them down the Romans road. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It does not say, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord with sins that are not that much. Or it does not say, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord with minimal sins or the easy sins or the little white lies. It says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God will forgive you. There is no sin too big. First John, this is, I know this is a chapter that talks of um, fellowship and stuff, but the, the verse here is, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You have not done a sin that God cannot forgive. If you go to God with a repentant heart and say, God, please forgive me. I'm a sinner. God will forgive you. Or how about the Christian life is too hard? Well, I guess some parts, yeah, it is hard. It's impossible without God. It's too hard. I, I like my life better. Um, what does the Bible say? What does God say about that one? Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs chapter 13. They think the Christian life is too hard. Proverbs 13, it says down to 15, Good understanding giveth favor, but the way of the transgressor is hard. You think my life is hard? You should try doing it without God. It's, we were just talking last night at Men's Prayer how that we just don't understand how some men do things without God in their life. And we look at the problems they have and you're like, how, how do you, one, how do you get there? And how do you say that God is hard? The way of a transgressor is hard. The Christian life is not hard because you have God with you. It's not hard. God will help you through it. Last one is the excuse of the procrastinator. I will, I will look to find God some other time. 
This is right up there with uh, the other one I said, I will become a Christian later. I, I'll look later. Proverbs chapter 27 for this one. Proverbs chapter 27. In verse 1, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. And then over in James chapter 4, James chapter 4, James chapter 4 says in verse 14, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and vanisheth away. This one here kind of hit me hard because 20 years ago this weekend, there was a lot of people that woke up and had no clue what was going on. Lives were lost in those towers and in those plane crashes. I don't know, but maybe there was someone who said, I'll wait. There might have been someone, a fireman, a police officer, or someone in those trade towers that said, I'll look for God later. Right now, I've got a job to do. Life, it is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and vanisheth away. You don't have tomorrow guaranteed. You don't. You know what? Those guys, all those men and women woke up and went on with their life. Nothing was going to happen. It was another day. And then they had a day that they've never had. There's families today that have changed since 20 years ago. Some of them, maybe. I'm, I really hope, I pray that some of those families would seek God. Because they realize life is short. There was a lot of people, a lot of Americans were lost that day. And I don't know for sure, but maybe one or two of them might have said, Later. Maybe they heard someone on the street corner, street preaching in New York City. I don't know. Maybe they heard a church down there. Maybe they went to a church the weekend before and said, later. Don't be a procrastinator. Don't put it off. Kind of go with this one here. There's, there is plenty of time. I think of some guys, I think of some people that our church has been praying for for over 30 years. You know what? Time's getting short. There's not plenty of time. Just like this said, life is for what is your life. And then it says over in Matthew 25. Matthew chapter 25. Verse 10. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and they were ready and they that were ready went in with him to the marriage, and the door was shut. Afterwards came also the other virgins, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Verily I say unto you, I know you not. You know what? There's going to come a day when you're going to just go and someone's going to go do their thing. They're going to go. And they might have been waiting. Time ran up. Don't put it off. You know what, I don't know tonight if there's someone here who's not saved. If you're not saved, can I, can, I, can I ask you, come down and talk to someone. Don't wait. 
We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to be tomorrow. Why put it off? Maybe tonight someone needs to come to the altar and say, you know what, I need to go to someone. I need to tell them. They don't need to die and go to hell. I, I can show them how. And just pray and ask God, can you give me boldness that I would talk to someone? I find a lot of times the reason why we don't talk to someone is we're just too afraid of what they will think of me. Not so much what they're going to, I don't, well, no one ever goes, well, I'm worried what they're going to think of God. No, you know what it is? It's, they, they might think I'm crazy if I tell them this. Push yourself aside. Go to them and say, look, this is what the Bible says. God's answer to what you just said. I want to show you from the Bible what God's answer is. You don't want to put this off. You don't want to play with this. You have the excuse of the atheist, the excuses of the agnostic, the excuse of the deceived, the excuse of the unconvicted, the excuse of the careless, the excuse of the ignorant, and the excuse of the procrastinator. I, I pray that there's none of one of those here tonight. But if there is, we have an altar where you can get it taken care of. You could come in and you can get it taken care of and you can walk out of here knowing that your excuses are gone and that you have the answer. With that, let's pray. Bow our heads and let's pray. Lord, I pray that tonight, if there's someone here that's not saved, that tonight might be the night. God, I, I would hate to think that someone would push it off knowing that, like you said in the Bible, we're not even guaranteed tomorrow. God, I, I just pray that you would work on someone if they need it. God, I, I pray you encourage others that they would be bold to go and talk to people and tell them and show them the truth and how they could know for sure that they would die. If they were to die, they'd go to heaven. God, I, I just ask that you would uh, give us a good rest of the night in your name. Amen. If you could pl please stand with your head bowed and eyes closed while the piano plays. If, if someone needs to come down the altar, you come on down. If, if you need to talk to someone, you come and let me know. We'll put you with someone and show you how you can know for sure. The altar's open.